James chapter 3. So who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom comes not down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Amen. Shall we pray together? Father, in your mercy would you hear our prayer. We have ears to hear, a heart which is open, that you would meet us where we are at, that you would help us once again soar in the wings like an eagle. Thank you, Father, that death has been defeated, that Christ is the risen one. And in his name we meet, and by your spirit I pray they would hear your voice and live. In the name of Christ, amen. Let me just see my doofer to see what I did with my slides. I can't remember. Oh, I'll come back to you. That's great. I'll throw this up. Can you see this? Oh, I don't know if you can see this too well. Apologize. I should have put it really, really big. But in effect, a woman stands up and she says, Lord, I, I need to come up this close to see it. I lay before you the prayer concerns voiced this morning, even though most of them sounded like whining to me. <laughs> and here's another one. Church conflict is normal, but throw in a couple of lightsabers and it just gets weird. Yeah, I'll do that again. So I've got them up there. We have a church meeting after the church service on Sunday the 29th of September. Someone, a few people actually, uh, emailed me and they says, why is there something big that's happening? Why is it on a Sunday afternoon? Why are we having a church meeting? Is there something we really need to know about? And my simple answer to that was, no. <laughs> we just need to have a church meeting. The reason for having it on a Sunday afternoon, and I've spoke to this very briefly, is that it's right after worship. We know of people who time and time again have said, I just don't like church meetings. They're different. And David, you're tense at a church meeting. And if you're tense, I'm tense. And if I'm tense, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. So the reason for having it after worship with soup and rolls after the tea and coffee is one, we hope to get more people here to engage in the life of the church. And, and two, that it will just be family joining together. So that's the reasons. But I did go on and say in my email to one person, maybe we should announce that there's been a moral scandal, a doctrinal controversy, or an impending church split. I think then we'd get a heck of a lot of people there at the church meeting. Because conflict draws a crowd. Remember in school, I was in a few of these, 
um, you get into a fight and all of a sudden people crowd around about you. And where I grew up, they used to do a stupid thing, but it really got you wound up. They used to go, oh, 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 oh. And there was no getting out of that circle. And if you did, the people pushed you in. Yeah, it was, it was fight or, or not, <laughs> face the consequences. But we do know that church conflict um, or conflict in any situation draws a crowd. And it doesn't matter what a church is like. Every church has issues. A crisis will arise sooner or, or later when you get a bunch of people together. You can't avoid it. Neither can you head it off at the past, really. If conflict is going to happen, it's going to happen. And it doesn't matter if the church is a, a church plant, is new. It doesn't matter if it's uh, been formed in 1884. It doesn't matter what denomination it is, whether they would be non-denominational or, or whatever. It doesn't matter who the pastor, the priest, the vicar, or whoever it is, is the under-shepherd of the flock. And it doesn't matter either what the governance structure is. Conflict happens. And when you get people together, there's always going to be differences. But none of that cancels out the reality that Christians all too often, we all too often behave in unchristian ways. I know of a church at this very moment, this very time, Lord, have mercy on them, where the two pastors are at each other's throat. I was involved in, in a bit of um, advice and counsel this week with that church, and it looks like uh, the, the associate pastor is going to go his own way, and the senior pastor is going to stick at it, but I know for a fact that the senior pastor's leadership are going to the denominational board with their concerns. It is awful, absolutely awful, and it should break our heart to even hear of that, because the community has got a ringside seat. The community, not a community of faith, but those who are meant to see the light and life of Christ are watching this church implode. Now, our church family has issues, without a shadow of a doubt, but as a community of spirit-filled believers who love the Lord, who love His Word, who love each other and love the people outside those doors, I believe that we should get on our knees and give thanks to the Lord because it truly is a precious thing. James here speaks of wisdom. But he speaks of how good churches can go bad. Now, when I mean good churches, I don't mean big and rich and famous and popular and all of that. I'm talking about a church as good as a church that loves the Lord, loves each other, loves the Word, loves to worship, loves to serve, and loves to go and, and seek and find the lost and bring them to Jesus. But every happy and spirit-filled church, every Christ-centered church can end up in a bad place. It's easily done, and it doesn't happen overnight. Heart disease within the body of Christ comes about, as James goes on to say, when we rely on earthly wisdom. 
fact, he goes even further than that. He says that sort of wisdom is from hell, from the pits of hell, from the place that has actually been defeated. Christ holds the keys to, to Hades, to death. And yet, all too often, Christians can rely on earthly wisdom, which James says is from that place. It destroys unity. It kills joy. It evaporates prayer. It dulls the appetite for God's word and it deadens worship. Not only that, it turns our focus from winning the loss to winning an argument. But there is good news. And James is going to unpack this in the passage before us. He says, if we really have wisdom, if we really have understanding, he, he says one simple thing, prove it. If we really are saying that we are mature disciples of Jesus Christ and we can hear the Lord and we understand scripture and we can offer advice and we can journey with people and, and all of, of that, that wisdom and maturing in Christ and becoming him, uh, Whatever that is like, he simply says, prove it. Prove it by a good life and prove it by good deeds. Life and ministry. However, for this to happen, and we're going to see this, he says we need to have an inner reality that is governed and controlled by heavenly wisdom. Not earthly wisdom, common sense, human rationale. He says if we are going to become that which God has called to do, called us to do, which in our life, in our ministry, our life, in our deeds, then there must be something in here that is transformed by a heavenly wisdom. In fact, I would say if that we want to be this radical community, this countercultural community where people are attracted and come and seek the Lord, then we need to have this inner reality. Otherwise, we are all fluff and bluster. We need to depend and possess a heavenly wisdom. So what does James say about wisdom? Let's look at James chapter 3. Well, first of all, in James chapter 1, he says this. As we have read through the weeks, um, he says this right at the beginning. It's an invite to us. James chapter 1, verse 5, an invite for all of us if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Ask God for wisdom. God comes and meets you where you are. He will enable you to soar on the wings like eagle if we ask. So that's the first thing. And what does it look like? Well, in James chapter seven, uh, 3, verse 17, he says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, and this is what it looks like. He says, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's what he says it looks like. 
Now I've put up there wisdom in the Holy Spirit. Because when James talks about acquiring, yearning, and asking for heavenly wisdom, scholars would say that when James is asking or thinking of wisdom, he's thinking of the Spirit of God. So heavenly wisdom, or even, let's go, earthly wisdom from the pits of hell is completely different from heavenly wisdom, which equates in James' mind to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord for the Spirit, and He will give generously, even to overflowing, so that you may be able to know and discern what His good and, and pleasant and pleasing will is. So how do we know that wisdom comes from God? How do we know that it isn't just all fluff and bluster? How do we know that the wisdom that we have and by which we're living a life is actually where we are spirit-led? Well, James points to two evidences up there. He says wisdom that is demonstrated by our actions and wisdom that is demonstrated by our attitudes. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? It's a rhetorical question. Let him show it by his good life, by his deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. It's not wisdom by what we know, but but what we do. Or knowledge is the accumulation of information, but wisdom is the application of wisdom, of information. Sorry. Wisdom and information are related, but they're two very different things. And in this age where we have so much information, there doesn't seem to be a heck of a lot of wisdom kicking about. Pray for our leadership and our our government. Pray for may I say, Boris Johnson, that there would be that man who seems to have so much information that he would show some wisdom, that the Lord would get him and grab him and bring him to his knees. For just because someone knows a lot of stuff doesn't mean that they can apply that. Would you rather uh, be sitting in a dentist's chair? No. <laughs> But if you have to sit in a dentist's chair and the person who, the technician comes in and says, hi, today, uh, Mr. Barry, Mr. Hayes, Mr. Belton, Mrs. Bennett, the, the person who's going to work on you today is Professor Bloggs. And he, what he doesn't know about mouths is not worth knowing. In fact, what I know about, you know, what he's forgotten is more than I know. And yet this is going to be his first time that he's going to go into someone's mouth. <laughs> Or would you rather have someone who's been in a a mouth lots and lots and he's seen it or she's seen it and they treat you with care and with sensitivity and with gentleness and all of that? We know the answer to that. Likewise, wisdom is demonstrated. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, which you will know, but the fruit of the Spirit The deeds of the Spirit, the application of the Spirit of heavenly wisdom is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What was your morning like? Was it rushed, angry, bitter, loud? Did you curse? Have you got a hard heart? All of those things do not come from the Lord. And he comes to desire to meet you at that place and to enable you to soar like an eagle. So not only is wisdom demonstrated in our actions, but it is demonstrated by our attitude. And James introduces this attitude of humility. Humility is inserted into this whole discussion in wisdom. By deeds done in humility, verse 13 at the end, that comes from uh, wisdom. So he's not just talking about the difference between information and wisdom. He's talking about the different kinds of wisdom. And as I says, he says this too. There's worldly wisdom, human rationale, maybe even common sense is no bad thing, but ain't no great thing at times either, and heavenly wisdom. So what is wisdom? What is humility? Is it when we say, I'm rubbish? Is that humility? When we say, I'm rubbish, I'm no good? I'm the dirt under your shoe. Many of us have such a poor opinion of ourselves. Is that a humility? I don't think that is humility because Christ came and died on the cross and shed his precious blood for you. You are worth it. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. And so by the Spirit of the Lord, may you start seeing yourself for in the same way that Jesus sees you. You're wonderful, Jamie Scott. You're beautiful, Otto Sanderson. Rona Williamson, you are a fine woman of God. You are not rubbish. But many of us, because we know our shortcomings, we know how we stumble and we fall, we know the bitterness we have against some people, we tend to think ourselves as rubbish. That's not humility. It's humility when we pretend to be unimportant. Pretty sure when James says in verse 14, he says this, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. It's like inverted pride. Humility is recognizing that in all we do, that in all we are, and that everything we have comes from the generous hand of God, our Father, our Creator God. All of it, absolutely all of it, comes by God's grace and not because we deserve it, so that no one should boast. This is the sort of attitude 
that James is encouraging us. In fact, this is the sort of attitude that James is reminding us. If you are born of the Spirit, you're a new creation. You are loved by God. You are a child of God. You are an heir and co-heir of Christ. This is who you are. Stop always focusing in on the things that you're rubbish at. You will always be rubbish at something until that time where he comes to take us or he returns in all his glory and there is a new creation. We always have our struggles, but James is trying to remind us who we truly are. We are loved by God and we are made by God. We are precious and that should be the grounding that undergirds our life and our deeds and the ministry that we're called into. He who is wise, who is wise and understands among you, let him show it by his good life, by his deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. May the character of Christ increasingly come out in our life. When we're alone and when there's no one there and we're in front of a computer, gents, may the Lord's character come out so that we don't look at porn. When we're alone with our spouses and it's just us and we're in the house and it's just our families, may the Spirit of Christ be working in our lives that when we're, we're the same when we're in the public, there is no difference from our attitude and character when the doors are closed and the windows are shut and no one can see Maybe the same as when we're out in the marketplace or amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what we are called to. If we would seek the Lord and say, give me wisdom, give me more of your spirit so that I become more like Christ, that's the starting point. Being open to what the Lord desires to do in your life. And you can stop him. You can stop the Lord's will happening in your life, and I can we, we draw a line in the sand, we stick our, we really get our heels in and we're not going to move. That is a hard life because the Lord loves you and, and will pursue you all the way. He desires that transformation. So how do we become humble? Only by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and if we submit to Jesus as Lord. What happens when humility is absent? James goes on to speak about that. He, he says things like this. He says if, if humility, if the spirit is, is, is missing, then you'll see this bitter envy, selfish ambition. You'll see um, that lifestyle which is earthly, unspiritual, and it's actually of the devil. You'll see envy and you'll see disorder and every evil practice if humility is absent. And this is not what we are called to at all. And what happens when humility is present? This is what happens. The wisdom that comes from heaven, the spirit is first of all pure, then peace-loving and considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruit and impartial and sincere and peacemakers who sow in peace and raise a harvest of righteousness. Because don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? We'll get rid of that old yeast 
Paul says to the Corinthians, so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. This is your identity in Christ. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. It is done. It is finished. It is complete. And as God says to his, his people Israel, he says, be holy as I am holy. There's no difference. Absolutely no difference. Eric Teralba, be holy as I am holy. Debbie Deeks, be holy as I am holy. Mike Nixon, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Then and only then comes the outpouring of fruit in our relationships and the outpouring of fruit in our church meetings and our church family. We see more peace-loving and we see more peacemakers by the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, James is talking to a, a church that at this point is knowing persecution. It's scattered all over the place. In fact, he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And he's calling them back to something very basic. Open yourself up to the Spirit of the Lord in your life. Because then you'll see produce that sort of stuff where others are being attracted. Don't let the yeast of the old life remain. Confess. This is who you are. Don't listen to the lies of the evil one. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the creation, and God says it is very good. I'm going to finish very early. I've got a whole section here I thought I was going to do, but I don't want to do it. I want to read a little bit of Jesus' prayer to us. I want to read it, and I'm may going to read an extended part because I thought I was only going to read a wee bit, but I, I want to read it just to hear what Jesus is saying to us, his prayer for us before, his, um, before Calvary, and before he was nailed to the cross, and before the resurrection, he prays these things. This is still part of the sermon. This isn't, you know, this is still part of our worship. And I pray that there'll be something of here that you would hear where you are. Father, my prayer is not for my disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them would be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to, the, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me 
to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of this world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them also. <coughs> Father, I pray in the name of your son Jesus that you would meet us right where we are. I thank you, Father, that your son was born into the most humble of situations that he had dirt under his fingernails. Father, I thank you that he knows what we feel, he knows what we experience, and yet he overcame. I thank you, Father, that he is the first fruit of the new creation. I thank you, Father, that we are in him and that he is in us. And I thank you, Father, that you have not left us as orphans, but that you have adopted us into your family because you are good, you are good, and your love endures forever. Have mercy on us, Lord, because we are prone to do the things that we don't want to do. And the things we desire to do, which are according to your will, all too often we do not do them. Have mercy on us, our good Father. I thank you that Christ is our sacrificial lamb and the price has been paid once and for all. For those of us, dear Lord, who struggle with how we feel about ourselves or struggle with uh, how we've been living, I pray that we would, you would bring us to the point where we would truly confess our sins and that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would live a life that would be pleasing to you. And for those of us, Father, who desire to go deeper and to let go more of this earth and the cares that it has and to be more concerned about you and your kingdom and to put ourselves in a place of vulnerability but with sincere hearts, Father, would you meet us where we are at? And may we soar in the wings like an eagle. I pray for those who are visiting this morning. Lord, may there be something in this time together that would draw their thinking and their heart and their spirit and their praise towards you. I pray, Lord, that as they leave this peaceful place at Pitlochry and go back to their homes and their routine, that, Lord, you would take them back with a spring in their step and that they would be salt and light where you have called them to. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray.